are so glad that you are here. I hate to break up the party. <laughs> My name is Pastor Bo Linker, and I am blessed and honored to be able to share with you this morning. Um, Pastor Nate and his family are in Sand Hills right now, uh, leading worship with Pastor Stacy. And last Sunday at our business meeting, we heard a, uh, an updated report on how well things are going down there in Sand Hills, and we could not be more thankful or more proud. Amen. Stacy is just doing a wonderful, wonderful job following the Lord, and we're grateful for him. Just wanted to share with you a couple of things uh, on behalf of our youth next, Sunday, uh, next Saturday, excuse me, March 11th, from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock. Our youth is going to be at the Food Lion on 2427 next to the movie theater from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock again. And we're going to be collecting items for Stanley County Christian Ministry. And uh, what we normally do is we've got a gigantic sign and we'll have a list of items that uh, they really need for this month. And we will pass out items to shoppers or pass out those flyers to shoppers as they're coming in to shop and then when uh, when they come out they can give those items to the kids and we'll load them up in my truck and then one day next week we will take all those items uh, to Stanley Christian Ministry so we're really just an outreach or, or a way for folks to uh, to be able to donate without really having to go out of their way to do so also I want to thank you Philip mentioned uh, all of the things that we're doing uh, for the boxes out front uh, this past month, in February, we collected items for our cancer bags that go to the Levine Cancer Center. Over the last year, the youth group here at First Assembly has collected enough items to donate 1,200 sunshine bags to the patients at the cancer center. And on behalf of the youth, I want to thank you because in February, we collected so many items that they're overflowing in my office. And so this coming week, we're going to be able to pack those, and we are just so grateful for that. Uh, we have so many wonderful things going on here at the church uh, that I just, I just want you to know about because God is moving and stirring in our midst. Amen. There is revival that we have prayed for for months, some of us years, and we are seeing some of that manifested. Many of you know that in uh, August I began teaching at North Stanley Middle School, and this past Wednesday, eight of my students in my class came for Wednesday night Bible study. Um, that was just a cool thing. We had 33 kids Wednesday night. That's the most we've had since I've been here Jackie and Misty are, are doing a phenomenal job with our, our youth ministry over there. I just want to, I just feel like I want to shout it from the mountaintops and tell God thank you. Uh, our scripture passage this morning, if you're following along with us, if you have your Bible, uh, comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, beginning in verse 10, and you can follow along with me. Miss Debbie is kind enough to put it on the screen for us. And the word says, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. 
And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. And when he said all of this, his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all of the wonderful things he was doing. Friends, if you don't get anything else out of our time this morning, our Savior is still doing wonderful things. Amen. Amen. Let us pray together. Almighty God, Lord, I pray that you would empty me of myself, that you would give me the words that you would have me to speak, that you would be a blessing to your people this morning, that your presence would be felt, that we would be encouraged, that we would be on so fire for Jesus Christ that people would come from miles around to watch us burn. Remind us, Father, as we leave these walls that we are entering the mission field. And as we've said many times before, we may be the only Bible that some people ever read. May we be a true image bearer of the Most High. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all might run me out of the church after this this morning, and if that's the case, it's been nice knowing you. How many of you have ever had a moment where you wish you would have chosen your words a little more wisely? Amen. As soon as it comes out of your mouth, you think, Bo, I probably should not have said that. I have had that happen a few times. Somebody said amen to that. Thank you very much. I've had that happen a few times. I read a story this week about a Baptist pastor that was completing a sermon on soberness, on temperance. It's a great sermon topic. And with great enthusiasm, he said, if I had all the beer in the world, I would take it and I would throw it in the river. And Ken Shank stood up and said, Amen. <laughs> the congregation nodded their approval, and with even greater emphasis, he added, And if I had all the wine in the world, I'd take it and I'd throw it in the river. And David McIntyre shouted, Amen. And finally he concluded, and he said, If I had all the whiskey in the world, I'd take it and I'd throw it in the river. And Mr. Roberts said, Amen. And he sat down with a big smile on his face, confident he had moved the congregation. 
And then Philip, the worship leader of the church, stood up quite cautiously with his eyes bulging. And he announced the closing hymn. He said, friends, let's stand and sing together. Shall we gather at the river? I am glad that you are here this morning, and I hope that you don't need to enjoy those other spirits to come into the presence of Almighty God. Amen. Today we begin a new series on what it means to be like Jesus. And the tagline is this, if you choose to follow someone for the rest of your life, don't you want to know where they are going Jesus calls people to follow him, and knowing where he is headed will change everything. And in this series, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to learn how to be like Jesus in today's world. I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you could use a pick-me-up? Anybody? It's a reoccurring theme in life that we will be knocked down. And if you haven't lately, buckle up because you soon will be. The question is, will we stay down when we are hurting or frustrated? Or will we return to the Lord for guidance and encouragement and support? Bum Phillips, who was the former football coach of the Houston Oilers, once made a comment. He said, There are two types of coaches in the National Football League. He said, those that have been fired and those that are going to be fired. And his statement applies to our topic today as well. There are two types of people in the world, those that have been hurt and those that will be hurt. It's an inescapable truth of life. Neither can we escape it, nor can we avoid it. And at some point in time or another, every one of us, even as believers in Christ, will be hurt. When we make a commitment to follow Jesus, we don't receive an exemption from pain. And even though all of us will experience hurts, sometimes very deep hurts, and sometimes those hurts even come from church or from those closest to us, We are encouraged not to lose hope. Jesus offers hope to the hurting this morning. And that may be a reminder that many of you this morning need to hear. In our church over the last several weeks, I have visited, talked with, listened to numerous people who feel like they're at the end of their rope. And friends, I want to tell you, that's not unusual. More and more, we see in life that the stresses and pressures that we face can humble us. And if we are not careful, they can ruin us. So why can you be encouraged even if you are currently enduring a seemingly hopeless situation? This passage in Luke. I firmly believe with all of my heart shows us three reasons that there is hope for the hurting. Number one, Jesus notices and cares for hurting people. Number two, Jesus is powerful enough 
to heal hurting people. And lastly, Jesus explains that Satan, not God, is the cause of the hurting people. Before we expound on these three reasons that I believe are found in the scripture passage today, I want to briefly explain this woman's condition. I kind of did a deep dive into this and was just curious what exactly was this woman afflicted by. And in verse 11, the Bible says that she was crippled. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And that she had been this way for 18 long years. And I did some looking this week, and medically, this disease is probably what physicians today would call Mary Strumpel disease. And what it is, is a fusion of the spinal bones. And what happens is that early in the course of the disease, those that are afflicted often find the pain is relieved somewhat when they lean forward. You ever woke up with a crick in your neck or something and you find that if you turn and move it a certain way, it relieves a little bit of the pressure? So often these folks go through the day leaning slightly forward and gradually their spine begins to fuse. And the more they lean over in order to relieve the pain, the greater the angle until a patient might be bent almost doubled over, as was the lady in the story. Basically, it's like this. The more a person tries to find relief, the worse they make the situation. In a very real way, let me ask you, have you gone out of your way to find relief and in, instead made the situation worse? This morning I joked about alcohol. How many of you know somebody that's been upset by a problem or situation they're facing and in order to find relief, they look for a remedy or a solution and in doing so make the situation worse? Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? Are you looking for something to make you feel better? To take your mind off whatever the real issue is? I want you to think for a moment about this woman. What a absolutely terrible disease that is wrecking havoc on every aspect of her life. It's hurting her physically. It's hurting her emotionally. It's hurting her financially. It's hurting her spiritually. Her bondage is symbolic of every one of us, all of our hurts and our needs. And the way Jesus responded to her, her hurts is the way that we can expect him to respond to those of us that are hurting today. There is help for the hurting because, number one, Jesus notices and cares for hurting people. Jesus cares and notices for hurting people. I talk to some of my students at school and at church all the time, and they say, Pastor Bo, Mr. Linker, I feel invisible. 
And if they feel that way in seventh grade and continue to grow up feeling that way, how many of us as adults continue to feel invisible, like nobody sees us, like nobody cares? Jesus sees and Jesus cares. The word says on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman who had been crippled for 18 years. She'd been over and couldn't straighten up, and when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free. You are set free. One of the first things we need to observe in these verses is that Jesus was not indifferent to her hurt. Pain and despair that this woman was going through, she did not go unnoticed by Jesus Christ. He has an eye for the hurting. He noticed and called to her, even though there is no record that she ever approached him, he reached out to her in the midst of her pain because he is aware and he is concerned with her hurt. This was not a typical way to conduct the synagogue services. Jesus' response to her was not socially expected or accepted. Women in that culture were generally thought very little of and usually ignored, so she would have had good reason to feel invisible in his presence. Why then did Jesus take notice of her and make a point to respond to her immediately and publicly? Because Jesus notices and he cares for those of you that are hurting. He has great compassion on those who are burdened, depressed, overwhelmed, and even often ignored by people in general. Yes, Jesus cares for all people, but those who are hurting always seem to receive special attention from him. In the New Testament day, women, lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, Widows were those that were among the most oppressed, those that were among those that had been treated unfairly, those that were ignored, those that were hurting, those that were hopeless. And yet these are the very people when Jesus ministered to, he did so most often and most powerfully. Why? Again, Jesus notices and cares. Jesus notices and cares. You do not ever need to think that Jesus is not aware of your situation or is unmoved by your tears. He is not indifferent and he does not ignore your pain. Some folks have a mistaken idea that God does not take personal and emotional interest in us petty humans. And that just isn't the truth. You were created in his image. And Jesus expressed compassion for those hurting on numerous occasions. And he is the perfect expression of God the Father. And through his life, we know that God cares deeply for all of us. And that includes you. 
You may not understand many things that you are going through, but you can be confident that God notices and cares about your pain. We have a Lord that notices the hurting and has compassion on the burning. And as his followers, we have a responsibility, friends, to do the same. That's why we go to the community table. That's why Jessica McIntyre sits with those families. That's why we deliver these bags to the Levine Center. We are called and commanded to help serve those that are hurting. Verse 14 and 15 says, Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, There are six days for work, you hypocrites. The Pharisees had told him, come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And Jesus again answers, you hypocrites, doesn't each one of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall? Don't you take care of what you need to take care of? Don't you lead it to give it water? We'll come back to verse 12 in just a moment, but first I want to point out that this text also teaches us that Jesus expects us to have the same attitude of compassion towards the hurting that he does. In these two verses, we see that Jesus rebuked those who ignored those hurting people. The religious leaders were far more con concerned on the rules, maintaining order, than they were in ministering to those that needed the most. These synagogue leaders had no joy, no praise, no relief at this woman's healing. And Jesus was greatly angered by this uncaring, indifferent response. There is a message for you and I this morning in this text. Jesus is saying, you can have the praise and the worship, you can have the teachings and the communion, but never forget that God's people matter to him, to reach out to them. This synagogue leader basically said to this woman and to the crowd that now is not the time and the place for healing, but to come back another day. Can you imagine this moment in the hypocrisy? This poor lady has been hurting for 18 years. And the God tells her to come back another day. Jesus cares for those that are hurting. And y'all, he insists that we do the same. I watched a video this week that literally brought me to tears. There were six teenage young men who were slated to compete against one another. And the event was a 100-yard dash. And these young men lined up. They waited for the starting gun, and they took off in a sprint. And about halfway down the track, the guy in front stumbled and fell, skinning both his hands and his knees. And the other five runners stopped, and they helped him up. And after they brushed him off, they decided to finish the race together. And they locked arm in arm as they crossed the finish line. 
None of the judges could tell who won the race because none of them could see through their tears. No one in the stands that day as a spectator would ever forget this demonstration of compassion. And as the race ended, the crowd stood and cheered for 10 minutes. For these young men were competing in the Special Olympics. And they, shared, they showed that they cared more for a hurting friend than they did winning the race. Friends, we should have the same attitude that those that are struggling have. We need to stop and help and not proceed with everyday life in indifference. Remember, friends, when you talk to others, you may have no idea what they are dealing with behind the scenes in their life. Give them the grace that God has given you. There is hope for you if you are hurting today, friends, because God does not forget you and he is not indifferent to what you are struggling with. I said, number one, Jesus notices and cares for hurting people. Number two, I'm going to shout it from the mountaintop, Jesus is powerful enough to heal hurting people. My God is powerful. My God is undefeated. My God is still a healer. And that includes physical healing. That includes emotional healing. And that includes spiritual healing. You are not alone. Jesus is powerful enough to affect change in your life. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward. He called her. And he says, woman, you are set free from your bondage. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up. Words in your Bible mean something. In the story of Jesus walking on the water, when Peter steps out of the boat, as long as his eyes are focused on Jesus, what does he do? He walks on water, something that no other human in recorded history had ever done. And as soon as he took his eyes off Christ, what happened? He sunk. And I love the way the Bible puts it. It says, immediately Jesus reached down and pulled him up. This woman has been hurting, and as soon as Jesus notices her, immediately he tells her to straighten up. Jesus' compassion would be nice, but of limited effort, if all he could do is offer her encouragement, pat her on the back, send her on her way, and said, man, that really stinks. Have a nice Tuesday. Praise God, that's not how the story ends. If the only thing he can do is sympathize with us, we're still hopeless. But the good news is, that Jesus Christ is not only compassionate, but Jesus Christ is all-powerful. He can heal your hurt. He can remove your bondage. He can change your situation. And as we see in this story, there is no situation, no matter how bad, that is too far for Jesus Christ. This is the worst kind of medical condition. A condition to this day 
Ken, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I tried to research this quite a bit. There's still no medical cure for it. Yet this did not pose problem for our God. She had been in this situation a long time. Some of you folks have been hurting for a long time. I want you to understand that nothing you are going through right now, nothing you are ever going through is beyond the power of Jesus Christ to heal and not only heal, but to revive and restore. You may have suffered for many years as this woman did, but you can still be hopeful. There is hope because there is Jesus Christ. He set this woman free from her suffering. And friends, I want to tell you this morning some good news. He can do the same for you. Never give up hope. No matter what the problem is, the hurt, the bondage that you might be facing. Because Jesus Christ is powerful enough to heal hurting people. I talk to different people every week. If you are physically sick, he can heal you. If your marriage is in trouble, he can restore it. If you have made bad decisions that you are ashamed of and you feel like your life is a mess, Jesus can repair it. There is nothing beyond the power of Jesus Christ. One of the hardest things for me to do as a pastor is to sit and to listen at folks that are struggling because there are times that many folks will share stuff with me. I'm sure they share things with Nate. And by nature, I'm a fixer. If it's within my power, I want to do something to change it. And sometimes those are things in my life that I'm limited to that I simply cannot fix. And that drives me crazy. But then I'm reminded by the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Son, you might not can change this situation, but I can. But I can. I know many of you have questions of God about why you have endured pain in your life. Why you have endured the hurt that you have endured. And there are questions that you have that may not be answered on this side of heaven. But nevertheless, I do encourage you to look at this story and to renew your faith. And not only that, to renew your expectations. To let your faith be strengthened by God's word. To keep your hopes up because Jesus is still on the throne. And Jesus Christ is still in the healing business. King David says in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. My God, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. How many of you this morning need a new song put in your mouth? There are believers today 
and I know this because I've talked to them. There are believers today who no longer pray for healing because they have lost their faith that God will do something about it. There are believers today whose marriages are failing, yet they have no real expectation for Christ to restore them because they think it's too late. There are people today who have quit serving in ministry out of discouragement because they think their situation is beyond God's help. I want to tell you something very sadly. Ten years ago, I graduated from Hood Theological Seminary in Salisbury with a 90-hour Master's in Divinity. I got the same amount of education as an attorney. And most of the people that I went to seminary with who were so on fire for Jesus, who wanted to go out and change the world for the gospel, most of them are no longer involved in any type of church ministry because of the discouragement, the pain they felt, the hurt that they feel that those that they could trust turned their back on them. I love y'all very much, but sometimes church people can be some of the hardest people to deal with. Jesus is still powerful enough to hurt, to help heal the hurting. Verse 15, the Lord answered, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, be set free? Fortunately, there is hope for the hurting because Jesus explains that our hurting is not God's doing. He clearly says in this text that Satan, God's enemy, not God, had kept this woman bound for 18 years. In verse 11, Luke also explicitly notes that an evil spirit had caused the woman's infirmity, not God. A lot of times we tend to blame the Lord for all the bad things in our life, but the Bible teaches us that Satan is the one that has brought the pain, the evil, the suffering, and the sorrow into the world through sin. If we look at the ministry of Christ, much of his ministry was spent healing and easing the suffering of people. He looked upon death and disease as intruders and aliens in God's created order. And those sufferings will not last. Those sufferings will not last. I'm going to invite the band to come back on stage. And normally when I preach, uh, I, I like telling stories. I like telling things that can hopefully relate from me to you. And I prayed this week about how to close this sermon, and I was kind of stuck. I couldn't find just the right thing to put a bow on this message, to tie it all up. And then again, that still small voice of the Holy Spirit, I believe, put this on my heart. And I want you to do something that you might find a little unusual. But I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine that Almighty God is personally telling you this, encouraging you. Put your name on the dotted line. 
the Apostle Paul says at the end of Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. And in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ Jesus? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. For we are considered a sheep to be led to slaughter. No. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Please look at me this morning. 
if you are hurting, you are not alone. Do not give up. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if the enemy has robbed you of your joy, by God, make a stand and come and take it back. Jesus Christ knows you. Jesus Christ sees you. Jesus Christ loves you. If you have not been told or reminded in a while, as Paul just said, you are loved with an inexpressible love. So many times we let the trials and the tribulations and the circumstances of this life beat us down to the point to where we cry out to the heavens, does anybody even care? And with a resounding answer, the Holy Spirit answers, yes, Jesus does. A couple of times I've done this.